Right. Well, as he comes up, uh, just a quick introduction so you understand uh, why he gets to be up here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, he is my dad, Cliff Powell. He's a pastor at Hillside Bible Church up in Ortonville. Uh, been a pastor for, is it 40 years by now? Is it close? At to, least that. At least that. All right. Uh, he's much older than 40. Much, much older. Um, and and before... Um, uh, But he's not only my dad and he's not only a pastor, he is one of our uh, Fieldstone overseers. And just to kind of give you a glimpse into our church government, our our leadership structure a little bit, uh, we have uh, our deacons, kind of our our board, if you're used to that kind of a thing. Uh, Ultimately, we'll be adding an elder board uh, that will provide a lot of the spiritual uh, leadership and and direction and some uh, help for me in that area. But then we have a third element called overseers, and these, this is a group of three experienced, respected pastors who are outside, who are outside of Fieldstone, uh, who provide an extra layer of accountability uh, and wisdom and prayer and things for our church, for me as a pastor. And it's three guys who, like my dad, who not only love me and love our church and love my family, uh, but are willing to come and wring my neck if that should ever be required. So... Uh, kind of a cool extra uh, layer there. Uh, and so here is my dad. Here is my pastor in many ways, my hunting buddy, uh, my golf buddy, uh, Cliff Powell. Thank you. Well, it truly is an honor to be here with you. And uh, I appreciate Jay saying all those things I told him to say. That went pretty well. Uh, But uh, I I like the part in the document that we read when he uh, asked us to be overseers, which was uh, obviously a real honor, that said, you're really, as a team, the only ones who can actually fire me. I kind of like that, you know, we could fire him. So just come and see me. If you've got any problems, send your letters in. It's just an honor and privilege to be here. And uh, being being the beginning of a new year here, this is uh, New Year's Eve, obviously, and uh, Jay and Kathy are going to go and clog their arteries. We get the grandkids, so everybody's going to win. Uh, but as a church, Fieldstone is, you know, they're still going through some of their firsts, and you're beginning your very first total year together. And it seemed good to kind of talk about the church a little bit. Uh, not just this church, but the church as our Lord, uh, you know, created it, designed it, and laid it out. And so, you know, I thought we'd take a little time talking about it. Obviously, From what Jay told you, I have a tremendous love for the church, not just our church, not just this church, but the church, the Lord's church, because that's who it really belongs to. Uh, The church has played a huge role in my life and obviously in my entire family's life. You know, when my parents became disillusioned with a church because I just kind of, you know, not all churches are following exactly as the Lord laid things out. There are some churches that are practicing kind of man-made religion things, but that doesn't mean that all churches are doing that, and the church, as Jesus designed it, is not religion, as we can tend to understand, things that man makes up, rituals and those things. The, the greater degree that a church is drawing on the, you know, the truth of God's word and, and that alone, the, the more uh, genuine that church is the genuine article of what the Lord Jesus had created and designed. But some of them are doing that. My folks were in one of those, and, and uh, they were, you know, becoming very disillusioned with all the things that were going on, so they left. In, in, 
They had no idea where they were leading to or anything like that, but they had obviously begun speaking with some of their peers, who then began inviting them to come and visit their church. Uh, and that church ended up uh, being a church that uh, taught the Word of God, was, was founded and grounded on the truths of God's Word that we're going to talk about today. And, and lo and behold, they came to surrender themselves to Christ. They came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they began bringing us kids. They had four boys, two of whom today are pastors. And uh, uh, so we began going. And you've probably heard some of this story from Justin. But here's why this is important. The, the idea behind Fieldstone grows out of those things. That God, when he comes in, doesn't just change a man or a woman. He changes the generations. And family trees are transformed uh, in ways that are unimaginable. My parents, uh, you know, tried to do the right thing but didn't personally know God. And they were kind of being borne along in their own ignorance by God and being funneled into a thing where they would come to know him personally. And it transformed their family tree. And believe me, it's a transformation because the Powell family, I'm not going to speak to my wife's family and so on. The Powells, they're scoundrels. They really, so you know kind of where Jay gets it. Uh, they're, they're scoundrels. And, and uh, my dad, as far as we can tell, as far back as you can look, was the first one to make that step over the line of faith and, and trust in Christ. And God began to do his transforming work. Uh, one of his brothers followed along after and so on. But uh, really very rare in our family. And uh, the history, the family history shows it. So it's an honor to talk about the church. Uh, from the time I met Christ, the church has been a, a very important part of my life. Uh, I, I met Christ in a church that preached the gospel, and I grew up in Christ. He, he did a work in my life through those years. He called me into ministry through his church. I met my wife in, in, uh, in college studying for ministry. Our family from the moment they were born, they were in, we were in ministry before. They've known nothing but being in the church in ministry, and God worked in them through the church, uh, both in good and bad, but he, he worked through the church. Uh, the church uh, was where I was married. It was, it's, it's a part of our life. So I, I love the church. The church in the Bible comes from a word called uh, ecclesia. If you pronounce it in English, it's ecclesia. You've probably heard it put that way. And it simply means the called out assembly, the called out ones. And it's, it seems funny that we make it so hard to understand the church. Originally, the church was people being called out of a world that knew nothing of the church. They'd never, there'd never been a church. Uh, and so it really isn't a hard thing to call the church out of our culture today, which seems to be losing uh, the sense of or the identity of the church. But we have a God's word, and it, it kind of shows us what uh, the church is to be and do. The church is really a supernatural thing. Uh, we aren't just an eclectic group of people who will come and agree on, uh, boy, this is kind of a neat place to get together, and all the people are really nice, and, and uh, they're doing some good things, and, and, so, and we can get together and have dinners. And, and in many places, the church has just kind of become another version, maybe a, a religious version of the uh, VFW or the Eagles Club or whatever. Yeah, but, but biblically, it's not just another version of those things. The church is a supernatural body designed and created by God himself. It's a divine thing. And we have the privilege of being a part of it. Uh, so 
some things about the church. Uh, as you can see from our family, I don't know what slides are going up uh, and what we've done, but uh, just to show you the part that the church has played in our family, you can just see some pictures. On, you might be able to make them out there. There you go. So the one, the picture on your left is is uh, Justin and his older brother, who's here today. That was the only time his older brother was taller than him. Uh, it's never happened again since. Uh, but Justin's on the right in that picture, and you can see what a crazy man he is. And uh, the hair was just an indication. But but from really early years. Uh, the picture on the right is Justin, because that's that was his typical. He thought he was the pastor of our church, and so he would walk around, hand in pocket, you know, the whole thing, checking things out, making sure everybody was doing what they were supposed to do, and uh, he was kind of the boss man of the whole thing. So he thought, but it was kind of cool. And the next picture, uh, Justin playing, you know, in a a bit of a role in one of the church dramas that we were doing. He was Grumpy Bell. Kathy actually has this picture, and every time Jay wakes up in a bad mood, she puts that picture out. Everybody knows, okay, your dad's grumpy bell today, so let's, let's be nice. And then there's the three kids there who are all dressed up for a, a church activity and event. So the church has been our life, and, uh, and you know, really as believers, that, that should happen. Even though we're not supposed to completely leave the world behind, we're supposed to take personal responsibility for the people in our lives and our sphere of influence uh, to try and have an impact on them for Christ. The natural way of things, however, if we're walking and living with the Lord Jesus Christ as an active uh, part of our lives, is that people are going to be automatically brought to the point of decision. Uh, they're either going to desire to come along with us in Christ or they're going to fall off because you can't kind of have it both ways. So as we walk with Christ more and more, the the sphere of our influence becomes really more believers around us. So it takes a little more work to try to have an impact on those that don't know Christ, which we're always supposed to have. There's always work and those kinds of things. There was a time when coming to Christ in faith was synonymous with being a part of the church. It was like when you, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you automatically were a part of the body of Christ. And it's, it's really changed, and it's not so much that way. And by the way, let me just say, you could say it, but this isn't just really some old guy wishing and longing for things from yesteryear and long ago, the way the church used to be. What I really like to try and do is identify the way the church is supposed to be because the church of yesteryear wasn't all right either. But some things have kind of happened in the, in, the, in the value and the importance of the church today. And I've, I've tried to identify some of those things. Obviously, I have a personal love for the, the church. Jesus had a love for the church, so much so that he came down and gave his life for the church. He died for the church, Ephesians 5.25 tells us. And, uh, and a love for Jesus is supposed to result in a love for the church. But if you look at our culture today, some of the things that you see is a diminished relationship with the church. Now, to some degree, we bear some responsibility for that. Uh, I myself have said, hey, uh, the church isn't first what you need, but a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is what you need. That's true. But in saying that, without explaining, sometimes we give people the idea they don't need the church, and what they need is Jesus. And by saying that, what are we doing? You see how that works? We've now divided Jesus from his church, thinking that that's a, 
when in fact you can't really do it. You can't really divide the Lord Jesus Christ from his church because his church is him and he is his church. And so things that we innocently say create this mindset that people can come to faith in Christ and don't really need the church. And so we find a lot of people that have bought into that idea today, that they can have Jesus, but they don't really need the church. And some people, sometimes they've been hurt by a church, and they say, yeah, I, I don't really uh, like the church, but I, I have Jesus. Uh, and yet that's not really a biblical concept. So uh, we see the neglect of the church happening around us. There's an increase in parachurch ministries. Parachurch ministries uh, are, are ministries that... Uh, that are going on outside the church. They're, they're kind of run parallel with it concurrently, but they have their own uh, ruling boards. They have their, uh, their own uh, decision-making bodies and so forth, but they're not the church. The difficulty with that is the Lord Jesus, nor the apostles whom he appointed to be the, the founders of the church, uh, ever imagined or do we see a parachurch kind of ministry in the Bible. I think there are reasons why they formed. I think people over the years, the generations, have become frustrated with things they don't see the church doing. Primarily people who have a gift. Let's just take one, like the gift of evangelism. And there may be some here who just have a heart and passion to see people come to Christ. Anybody like that here? Like, just that you, just, you just can't rest. You just have to, you know, be finding ways and encouraging people just to see people come to Christ. And, and that's important. Every church needs those people gifted in that way. But, you know, one of the things about a spiritual gift is it's that very thing that frustrates you when you don't see it happening in the church. That's how you kind of have a sense of what your gift is. The thing that frustrates you most uh, that's not happening in a church, it's probably where your gift lies. And uh, the thing that you love to do for Jesus the most, those two factors probably give you an idea of where your spiritual gift is. But you see what happens over the generations, people with that particular gift, they get frustrated, so they go outside and they start gathering other people who share that same passion for souls, and they get together, and then they finally decide, hey, you know, if we bind, bind, get together, we can, we can really reach some people, so let's form an evangelistic crusade or an evangelistic uh, you know, ministry, and uh, we'll have our own board, and we'll do that. And, and as you do that, then more people come on board all excited about reaching people. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the church. And so what happens is then you have this ministry, not wrong in itself, clearly, uh, you know, formed out of a desire to reach people, but the end result is you have this whole body of people who are enjoying being together because they all have a passion to reach people for Christ, and the church is left with no one to reach people for Christ. That's just one example of how parachurch ministries begun for good reasons. Did I step on a wire? Okay, because this thing here just went off. Uh, it, it, it tends to do, you, have you ever heard that word brain drain? Okay, or talent drain in the business world where, okay, all the best people go and flock to the, that's the end result of what happens in the church when parachurch ministries get going, and there are lots of them. Believe me, there are lots of them. In, in every area of giftedness, that's how it happens. So they're good ideas, but the church of Jesus, the God's chosen instrument in the world, is, is the one that suffers when that happens. So we're kind of talking about things that have kind of happened to the church over these past generations. Uh, there's a new 
uh, view or a new idea of regular attendance today. It's very real. Uh, some identify it starting somewhere around 2010, uh, thereabouts, but uh, it's, it's the idea that uh, regular attendance, you talk to someone and say, hey, do you attend church regularly? They'd say, yes, I do. And, and, and you say, well, uh, where? And they tell you where. And, and when you talk to people in the church, they'd say, well, you know, we see them, you know, we see them once or twice a month. Regular attendance has kind of been a one or two time a month proposition where years ago it was, it was uh, twice on Sunday in the middle of the week and then maybe a, a Bible study in addition to that and so on. Now, there are reasons for this, no one of which are really a problem. But in looking at some of these things like the, the uh, greater affluence that we have, there's a greater affluence. That simply means there are way more things available to people in our culture today than there used to be uh, because of this affluence, one of those being travel. Uh, the ability to go and do things, and like I said, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but the end result is that it has a major impact on what is called regular attendance in Jesus' church today, doesn't it? So uh, what happens if the top 20% of a church kind of slips into this idea because of all the things available. There's the next 30% of people who are uh, kind of the committed but not the core. They're, they're majorly affected by the core 20. And when they don't see and aren't rubbing shoulders on a regular basis with the core 20 because their attendance becomes sporadic, the committed 30, then they never grow up to become committed core because they're rubbing shoulders with those that are becoming more sporadic in their attendance. And, and so now you've got the top 50% that aren't uh, really walking in a committed way to the church. And so it becomes a problem. Uh, blended families is another issue that affects uh, church attendance today. What I mean is there, there are many families today that uh, the kids have to go and visit dad because he and his his wife now, they live elsewhere, and so those kids now aren't, aren't at church those two weeks each month. They're at their dad's place. Maybe they're at church. Maybe they aren't at church, but you can see how that has an effect on the ministry. Uh, kids' sports today. It's uh, nothing fundamentally wrong with that, right? But yet, it's not like it was when I was younger. Even my kids when they were younger. We, we didn't haul our kids you know, over to, you know, these big sports and travel teams and all that stuff, which are very time-consuming and expensive. Uh, there was a season for baseball rather than all season. Uh, we have kids in our buildings that practice uh, baseball year-round. Uh, they do it. But kids' sports have become so organized today that they start pulling families and their kids away from regular attendance at church. Now, as I said, no one of those things is wrong in themselves, but the impact that it has on what we tend to call regular attendance at church is, is big. So uh, the, there's a cultural loss of the sense of need of church. When I was younger, uh, even people that didn't really have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ had a sense of going to church. People would go to church, stores were closed and so on. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that that all was the best way it should be, but it definitely made a difference in church attendance. So, so 
what am I saying? The bottom line is we're losing the value and importance of what Jesus founded. The important thing is not trying to get a cultural reboot of the church, but a biblical one, trying to figure out what the church is supposed to be. So Jesus promised us to build his church. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus, before anybody talked about the church, began talking about this called out assembly before the, the apostles themselves even knew what this called out assembly or the called out ones were. Jesus was talking about his church. And he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and I will give it or give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which means the church was going to be his, his instrument in the world to bringing people to faith in Christ and eternity, the promise of eternal life. Uh, be careful how you build on that foundation, Jesus said. And just so some of you know, Jesus asked the disciples when he was introducing the church, he said, who do men say that I am? And remember, in Matthew 16, they were saying, some say Elijah, who was to come. Some say John the Baptist, who had just been killed. Some, you know, that people had different ideas. Peter being directed by the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him was, Peter, on that truth, I will build my church. Upon that foundational truth, what is it? Uh, the Jews of that day understood the language that was being spoken. They understood that, that Peter was saying, Jesus is the Messiah and he is God. And they understood that. And Jesus said, it's upon that truth that I'm going to build my church. So that became the foundational truth of the church. Every true church has to be built on that foundational truth or it's not a biblical church. It's an absolute necessity. Now, people can get together for a lot of things, but if that's not the foundation upon which they're building, then it's not a biblical church. Then he, he tells through the Apostle Paul that that's the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11. Paul says, there is no foundation other than the one I've laid, which is Jesus Christ, meaning him crucified. And then he says, but let each one be careful how he builds upon it. So the church was to be built upon that foundation, and others are going to do that. In Acts 2, 47, uh, it seems very clear when it says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved, that it was synonymous when people came to know Christ, that they were being added to the church. There was no concept of a separation of those two things. Everyone that came to the Lord Jesus came into the church, his called out ones, because coming to Christ is calling you out of this present world and its culture to the Lord Jesus and his kingdom, his new culture. Uh, so that's, that's how the church was uh, begun and how it continues on. So let me just go over a few interesting things about the church as you guys go into this whole year now as, as a church. First time uh, getting the roots down, you're really in the process of building on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the first things is that the church is called the pillar and support of the truth. Uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, whom he had led to Christ, whom he had taught and schooled, and then actually put him in ministry Timothy was actually the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy by the Holy Spirit, 1 and 2 Timothy, are part of the pastoral epistles. That's why they're called that, because Paul was writing to a pastor, young Timothy, giving him instructions about the church. And here's what he says about that. Uh, I'm going to just read it right from Scripture. He says, I'm writing these things to you, uh, Timothy, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, and here's what he says, the pillar and support of the truth. And then he goes on to give that truth, which is the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is the foundation of the church, and the church itself becomes the pillar and support. Now, we all kind of know about foundations. If you were to build a building without a foundation, uh, it doesn't take long for that building to start to settle and, and uh, crack, and it just doesn't stand right. Uh, and Jesus is a solid foundation, but a pillar and support. The main pillar of a building and support are those structures that you don't really see. They're behind the facades. They're behind the partitions and those things. Uh, but they exist, and that's what actually holds the entire structure up. What, what Paul was telling Timothy is, look, the church is that thing that supports and maintains the entire truth on the foundation of Christ. Just to give you an illustration, in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Samson. Samson was one of the judges in the, in the book of Judges, the period of Judges. He was called by God to uh, deliver Israel because they had uh, started walking in sin, walking away from God, and they became oppressed by the Philistines. And so God raised up Samson. Uh, there were some things about Samson that weren't so good, but God used Samson in mighty ways. After Samson had compromised and then repented and come back, he was actually being uh, uh, led around by a little kid uh, by chains. And he said to the little uh, Philistine boy, take me to the main pillar of the building that I can feel it. And uh, so the little kid did. And in this massive arena... This structure where thousands and thousands and thousands of Philistines all gathered for a big uh, banquet party. And, of course, Samson was one of their, their entertainment. They had gouged out his eyes They'd cut because, of it, because of his compromise. But in his last moments of life, he, he said to this little boy, take me to the main pillar of the arena. And he did, and he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Lord, allow me to deliver Israel and kill more Philistines in my death than I ever did in my life. And so God restored his strength, which really was God's strength. And Samson took the main pillar of that arena and he tore it down. And the entire place fell down and killed thousands of Philistines. Now, it's a cool story of God's power and might. But it also gives us an illustration of the importance of the pillar. You remove that pillar... And everything else crumbles around it. And Paul calls the church of Jesus, the biblical church, the pillar and support of the truth. We might, we might denigrate the church. We might start ignoring the church. But the, the biblical fact is, if the church ceased to be, the truth of Christ would die on earth. We are it. You are it in this year to come. God planted this here. Uh, I'm honored and proud and, and thrilled that he would take Justin and plant that vision in to plant this church uh, and, and all the leaders he's bringing around and, and all of you. You are the pillar in support of the, the truth in this area, in this community. And so it's a, it's a very important thing. There's another thing. The church is also God's ordained instrument in the world. We talked about this a little bit. He, he's given the keys of heaven to the church, not to any one man. The apostles, who were really relatively brief, we see the acts of the apostles in the book of Acts, 
But you know, when the last apostle died, who was the apostle John, there were no longer any apostles of the Lamb of Jesus. Now, I said that for a specific reason. The word apostle means sent ones, and it's used on a regular, everyday basis. You know, I sent, uh, you know, if I send my little grandson to get something, he becomes my sent one, in a sense. In an everyday sense, he became my apostle to go and get me some food. <laughs> uh, he's a sent one. But, but the sent ones of the Lamb, the apostles of the Lamb, are those men handpicked by Jesus the Apostle Paul was the last one handpicked by Jesus. And the Bible tells us very clearly there are only 12 of them. There aren't an innumerable number of apostles. There are only 12 apostles. Paul was the one that Jesus chose to be the replacement for Judas, not uh, Matthias, because in Revelation 21, it tells us there were only 12 apostles, and their names are written on the foundation, that's fitting, right, of the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, which is the church of the living God, the bride of Christ. Their names are written on the foundation stones, 12 of them. There's only 12. And then they're gone. And that was passed on now to us. And so we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's been given to us, his church, his biblical church. We are called to be a part of the great co-mission, working hand-in-hand hand with the Lord by the Holy Spirit, calling people to faith in Christ. Matthew 28, that assignment that he gave to the apostles who then gave it to us to go into every nation, every tribe, every, uh, every people group and give them the gospel of Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it says, teaching them everything I've commanded you, said Jesus, to the end of the age. Pastors are called to do the work of evangelist. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, he just told them all kinds of things to do in the church. And then he says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. What does an evangelist do? He tells and proclaims the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Now, pastors do a lot more. Not all pastors have the gift of evangelism, but we've just learned that every pastor is called to lead the church of Christ into doing evangelism, reaching people for Christ. I have a little thing that I say with our people. There's only one thing that we won't do better in heaven than we can do on earth. Just one. We'll pray better. We'll understand better. We'll fellowship better. We'll worship better. We'll do all those things better in heaven, but there's only one thing that we can't do better in heaven than we can do right here. You know what it is? Telling people about Jesus because that will be over for us. So it's a very important part of what the church is to be and do. The church should be the center of discovery. That's leading people to Jesus. Development, that's teaching them everything about Jesus and deployment, that's putting them back into ministry for Jesus. That's the full circle completed. That's the church of the Bible that Jesus imagined and, and created. Well, the church is a corporate center of worship as well. The first church, when they came to Christ, they gathered together and they began worshiping the Lord in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they had all things common. Their worship was service-oriented worship as well. Uh, in Ephesians 5, it, it were commanded speaking to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So that was to be a part of our corporate gathering in worship, and we do, and so enjoyed the worship today. Number four, the church is a teaching agency as well in the Bible, teaching and training for ministry. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, uh, here's an interesting concept. 
The pastor is not supposed to be the sole minister in the church. Whoa. It's tough. I'm going to give you a little break here today, Jay. The pastor's job is to put people in ministry, not be the minister. Putting people in ministry, training the saints for the work of the ministry, identifying gifts, leading them in that. Why? Because, listen, every believer is going to never understand their their real place in Christ until they take their place in service. You won't even understand what the body is until you're in there serving. People that are staying on the outside and being allowed to be peripheral and so on, they're never really going to get it, what the church is, until they get engaged in what it's doing. That's how you truly experience the church because that's what we're called to do. Putting people in ministry uh, is the job. Making disciple makers. I use that term because a lot of People think that when you come to Christ, now it's done. It's done. That's just the beginning. Coming to faith in Jesus is just the very beginning of a life with Christ. We're called to not just make disciples, but make disciple makers. In other words, my life goal is trying to make people disciples of Jesus who are, who are also then going to be able to go out and make other people disciples of Jesus. Keeping the circle going, that's, that's how the early church was exponential in its growth because they understood this. In other words, not just getting seats, people in the seats, but getting those people in the seats to be getting people in the seats and growing in Christ and, and, and doing this exponential thing. Every leader in the church was called to be apt to teach. So obviously, being a center of teaching was important to the Lord Jesus for the church. Teaching was to be honored. It said those that teach and, and uh, use the word of God well are to have double honor in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 5. Another thing, the church is a clearinghouse for service. That it's in the church that people learn what their gift is and find their place of service uh, and, and gathering uh, uniquely suited. We don't have time to go into it, but a really great place to look is in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the gifts. And yet the amazing thing is that there's a select number, it's a limited number of spiritual gifts. But when those gifts are plugged into you and me, the effect of those gifts is innumerable. It's without number. Because God, who's sovereign over my personal abilities, my past, the things he's written on the clean canvas that Jesus made, has a different effect than when it plugs into someone else. For instance, let's take uh, the gift of teaching. We were talking about that. The gift of teaching in one person has a completely different effect than the gift of teaching in another. See, there's no gift of working with young people, but personal ability weighs in. You might have the gift of teaching, but your personal ability makes that unique in your ability to impact young people versus middle-aged people or older people. And so that's an illustration of how one gift can have incredible amount of effects when it's plugged into the uniqueness of who each of us are. None of us is going to give the same effect out of the same spiritual gift uh, as God uses it. That's what it explains there. There are uh, you know, certain gifts, but a multitude of effects. Well, the church is also God's place of caring and respite. I don't hear this talked about much about the church, but it's so important because let's face it, we all know this is a, this is a crazy mixed up world that we live in. This, this world is broken. People are broken in this world and relationships are a mess Families are, are breaking up, and there's, there's, there's heartache. Uh, that's not to mention physical ailments and the things that are happening. And th 
The Lord Jesus wanted his church to epitomize who he was, who was compassionate and meek and a place of respite. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Shouldn't the church be a place where people can come and just be like, finally, a place, a place where I can rest and, and be ministered to and cared for away from the craziness. The thing that bothers me more than anything else is if the, when the church becomes the craziness. That's like, a, that's like the major violation. I mean, what, we are becoming what we're supposed to be healing from. We're supposed to be that place of respite and restoration. Jesus went on to say in that same passage, you will find rest for your souls. Wouldn't it be great to be that place? Where you could feel good about inviting people who are broken and struggling and suffering and say, why don't, why don't you come? Why don't you come? We have people who, who can care for you here. They can care for your kids here. That's what the church is called to be. The church is also, and uh, really finally, there's many more things. There just isn't time to talk about it all. It's a great study. The church is God's agency to help hold back evil in this present world. It is. Now, the Bible gives the Spirit of God the primary responsibility uh, to hold back the flood of evil until it's God's timing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's, it makes it very clear that the wicked one is coming into the world who, who is the Antichrist. It goes on to explain who he is, the one who will set up the one world empire. I believe... Individuals have tried, and, and the wicked one has tried to do it many times, but it wasn't God's time, and they've been put down. But the time's going to come when an individual's going to be successful, being energized and empowered by Satan himself, and uh, this one world's going to come, uh, this one world government, evil. But until then, the Holy Spirit's holding it back until he steps out of the way, it says. The church is the instrument of the Spirit to do that. So... We have a job to stand against evil. Isn't it horrible when churches become the epitome of evil? When we go along with evil? Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we're supposed to stand in condemnation of people that are caught and victimized by the wicked one. That's where the world is, by the way. They don't even know what's happening to them. But we do. And we're supposed to love them. But evil, we should stand against because we're God's instrument to do it. And in addition to that, false teaching and deception. The Lord Jesus gave the, the apostles, again, specific directions to be watchful, to uh, look out for, to stand guard against the deceptions and the false teachings that are also instituted into the world and the church by the wicked one. Doctrines of demons, it's called, in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, to be watchful for those things. So that means the church is assigned this huge responsibility, the leaders, the past, to be very sharp, to be in the word, to be in prayer, to be sensitive to the spirit and not be taken captive by these false teachings and these false notions about what the church is to be and do. Uh, it's a huge responsibility. Bottom line is, the church is Christ's body on earth, his bride, and everything that you can imagine or find in the Bible that Jesus would be doing while here, we ought to be doing it. That's what we ought to be doing because we are his body on earth. Each one playing their part, but all together his body. 
And listen, love the church. Love it. Let me just share an illustration with you. If I had, if I had a best friend, and I, you know, I don't have many really good friends. Most of my best friends are like thousands of miles away from me. If I had a best friend and my best friend said, yeah, I just, you're my best friend. I just really love you, man. But you know, I can't stand your wife. She's a problem. I just, you know, maybe we could just like go off and have a good time and your wife could stay home maybe because, yeah, she just really bugs me. Isn't that funny? But isn't that how we're treating the church? The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. Say, oh, I love Jesus. I love him so much. I can't stand his church. I just really, you know, there's a lot of weirdos in there. A lot of strange people in there, beginning with me. I love Jesus, but I hate his, I hate his bride. I hate his wife. That doesn't work biblically for me. You can't have Jesus without his bride. And oh, by the way, if you have Jesus, you are part of his bride. We're betrothed. His promise is, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back to receive you to myself so where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise of the bridegroom to his betrothed bride that he was coming back for. And when we, when we go with him, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be the consummation of that great promise. That's who we are. You can't love Jesus and not love the church. So my challenge, got a whole year ahead of you. Love Jesus and love his church. And tell as many people as you can about it. Lord bless you. Hold on, Chris, for a second. You got it. Yeah, come back up. I know he's done, but one thing I'd love to, to finish with, I've got one thing I want to uh, tell you before you go, but uh, one of my memories from growing up uh, when he was a pastor and I was just a punk kid, every once in a while our, my grandparents would show up, and almost every time you would go find Grandpa in the back and have him close out the service in prayer. Mm. And I, I didn't understand what was going on. You guys usually got emotional and stuff. I'm like, that's lame. Uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, now it's kind of cool that the first sermon I ever preached was as an intern at your church, and now you're preaching at my church, which is pretty amazing. It so I'd amazing. love it if you would just uh, kind of close out our time with prayer and kind of bless what's going on here and yeah. finish this out. Okay, I'd love to. Okay. Well, let's pray. Would you stand together? Let's pray together. We're kind of a committing to a year for, for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we stand as a man, woman, child today thanking you for what you paid for your church, Lord, for us. Uh, how can we comprehend the magnitude of that, Lord? But we thank you. We pray, Lord, that you'll, that you'll use your church in mighty ways in the coming year, this church. Lord, that you'll anoint the leaders. There are leaders yet to come, Lord, leaders yet to be identified that you're raising up even now. We pray that you would anoint them for the task ahead. Lord, that you would... Uh, energize this church with a love and a passion for people who have yet to come to you and who have yet to know what the church really is to have an impact in this world, Lord. Uh, each one here and those who will, who will hear of this uh, through them, Lord, I pray that you would do a great work. We thank you for the privilege in Jesus' name. Amen.